we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. When are we going to really grasp hold that God is for us? He is for us. I have heard people who are believers throw their hands up and say, everything is against me. Everything's against me, Pastor. When you say everything's against you, you're including God in that. Saying even God's against me. But that's contrary to the word of God. He is for you today. He is with you today. Amen. I've heard the term chase after God in my lifetime. And I found out God doesn't want you to chase after him. He wants you to walk with him and abide in his presence. I don't want to chase after him. He don't want you to chase after him. He wants you to walk with him and realize he's all around you. I can't get my prayers past the ceiling, Pastor. That's okay. Because guess what? God doesn't dwell above the ceiling. He or he does dwell above the ceiling, but he also dwells in the room. He dwells all around you. The psalmist says, where can I go to hide from his presence? Nowhere. Nowhere. He's there. You say, he doesn't hear my prayers. Yes, he does. He's with you. Look at somebody beside you and say, he's with me this morning. Come on, you better loosen up and have church today. I didn't got fired up in the first service, so I'm ready to go. He's with you today. He's with you today. Amen. You say, well, pastor, how do you know? Let me just share something with you. I'm, going, I'm on cloud. I got to share a devotion with the, with the varsity football team uh, this past Thursday, and two young men gave their heart to Jesus to me in, in that devotion. Somebody said, God's not at work. God's at work. Amen. 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 Mm. Somebody look at you and look at somebody beside you and just get your preaching finger ready. Everybody do this. Get your preaching finger. Look at them and say, God is for you. And you can be seated with that. Amen. He is for you. Amen. Mm. You ready to go? You can't go yet, but I mean, you ready to go here. I know some of you are ready for lunch. I feel like the Lord's give us something today to share with you. I finished up our series last week on the power of love, and today uh, we're going to, next couple of weeks, today and next week, we're going to talk about what it means, to, in other words, thankful question mark. And this, this, this message came out of a lot of things that I've... Who, who's a people watcher in this room? Come on. I'm not talking about a stalker. I'm talking about a watcher. Okay, there's a difference. Okay, you're a people watcher. You like to sit down and, and uh, you know, in Gatlinburg, I like to get a cup of coffee. I like to sit down. I like to watch people because there's a better show out there than there is anywhere else. Or in the mall, there's a better show watching people than, than, you know, just sit on a bench sometimes. It's hilarious what you will, uh, as a matter of fact, um, Jacob and Morissette and I were in town together the other day, and, and uh, we went by this man. He had a sign up, and you see a lot of that in Rome. It's more and more in Rome now. You see in a lot of homeless folks. And had a sign up, and he says, need a large print Bible. 
And so we had pulled out, we went back around, went to Walmart and, and hopes they had a large print Bible. They had a large print Bible. Well, when we pulled up to give it to the man, he was in an argument with another homeless man. And I mean, they were, they were going at it. They were having quite a discussion. And, and I don't think God was in that discussion. I'm pretty sure that was not an evangelistic opportunity going on for them. But uh, Jacob, we called the guy over, we gave him the Bible. The other guy storms off, still fussing, going down the road. And I think they were having a little turf war. Um, and the, the guy gets the Bible and he turns around and he just looks at us. And then he goes back and then finally we're getting ready to pull back out onto the highway. And he, he hollers at us and he says, he brought it at the right time. <laughs> oh, God is good. And so <laughs> that's, it's, it's ministry, though. It's ministry, and so, you know, my prayer is that the, that the words, and this is what I wrote in the Bible, that the words on these pages would bring life to your, to, to your, to your being, that you would experience God, not just a story about God. And uh, there's a lot of people that don't realize God is an experiential thing. That you can hear about God all your life and never experience God. You can, you know, you can, it's, it's like somebody telling you how beautiful a place is. Oh, you need to go so and so. It's so beautiful. And you can look at pictures and you can do all, but until you experience it, you really don't know. Come on. You can think it's beautiful. You can believe it's beautiful. But till you experience it, you really don't know. Uh, for yourself what it is. Do you realize our God is an experiential God? In other words, he knows that we go through hard times, but he loved us enough that he sent his son to experience it in the flesh. So now God, when you say, God, I'm, I'm going through that, do you realize when Jesus stumped his toe, it hurt? Do you realize that, that, that when Jesus went through things on this, the Bible says in all ways he was tempted like we are yet without sin. That means he walked in the flesh so that God could experience what it meant to be a man, to be human, to be flesh and blood. And because he is an experiential God, now he invites you and I to experience him. So that brings me to this thought of thankful question. Are we truly thankful in 2020 as we move into the Thanksgiving season? Are we truly thankful for 2020? Now, as I will just be honest with you. I went through probably the first, you know, seven, eight months of 2020 not too thankful for 2020. How about you? Come on, some honesty here. We're going to be here a long time until you get honest. All right? How many of you were like, oh, thank God for the pandemic. I just praise God for it. It's just wonderful. I love my kids being home three months at a time and no school and no athletics and no, mm -mm. matter of fact, I, I've, I've, I check on some of the folks that get quarantined every now and then and say, how you doing? About to kill the kids. It's first response, about to kill them. Well, don't kill them. You don't want to do that. Well, you know what I mean, Pastor. I've had a hard time thanking God for 2020. I, I'll pick on me. I've had a hard time looking saying, yay, for 2020. But God really has convicted me of that. And, and so what I want to really talk to you about is how, how can we give thanks in 2020? How can we gather at our tables uh, a week from now or so and sit down and say, I'm truly thankful for 2020? I'm going to give you hopefully some things to be thankful for before we leave this place. What have we got to be thankful for? I've heard a lot of people asking that. And it disturbs me a lot when... I ask it, but it disturbs me. Look, when, when the world loses, I expect the world to lose hope. I expect for those that don't know Jesus to lose hope. I expect for those that don't know the Lord to get mad and upset at the, at the outcome of different things. 
Um, and, and again, I don't believe the pulpit is a place for politics, but no matter what you wanted uh, a week from now and what you're still uh, hoping for or not hoping for, I want you to know something uh, that, that we need to understand who's in control. We need to understand that as long as the Lord's still in office, that's all that really matters because our hope is not found in a White House. Our hope is found in, the, in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. And I really have, have been disturbed at watching Christians lose hope. I've really been disturbed at watching how Christians have responded, not just to elections, but to the pandemic. And, and my response, admittingly, wasn't too well at first. Because I didn't want to have church the way that, that, that we had to have church. I still don't like to have church the way we're having church. I'm ready to get us together. How about you? I'm ready to see God move us forward out of this mess. And I believe that day's coming. But, but God had a purpose in this. Because in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we are challenged by the Apostle Paul when he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all all circumstances. Now, I don't have problem giving thanks in the good circumstances. But to give thanks in the bad circumstances, that's a stretch for me. How about you? But Paul is saying, let's give thanks not just when things are going our way, not just when everything looks good and appealing, but we have to give thanks even when the circumstances are not going our way. We need to give thanks even when we find ourselves in, in, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of trial, in the middle of difficulty, we need to give thanks. In an article in the uh, publication Desiring God, John Boom, Bloom wrote these words, Grumbling will be forever echoed or accented through the halls of hell. And gratitude will be forever accented or echoed through the, through the halls of heaven. Isn't that awesome? I believe hell will be full of regrets, full of complaint, full of grumbling, full of the blame game. But heaven will be forever echoing the gratitude. But as many of us prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving, let's take a long look at the word gratitude. More specifically, how is it possible to obey 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and give thanks in all circumstances, especially when the circumstances are horrible? Okay? Anybody thought that some things were pretty horrible lately? Okay? Well, listen to me this morning because you're going to leave here, I feel like, with some tools. What fuels Thanksgiving when the life seems to be, life seems to be one discouragement, disappointment, disease, disaster, or death after another? There is only one way, and the Bible lays that out in John 14, 6, where Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except... Through me, Jesus said, I'm the way. There's a fancy word I want to lay the foundation with this morning as we go through this. And, uh, and you're all going to learn this fancy word, and you're going to be able to go to lunch and use this. Because when your waitress looks at you and says, uh, do you need anything else? Instead of saying thank you, I want you to use this Greek word, euchristio. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, you, Christio. You have learned the Greek word for thanks. This is what the, word, the language that was used by Jesus, and this is the language also used by Paul. And when they say, in all things give thanks, he uses the word eucharistio. And listen, it means thanks in the face of horror. It means thanks in difficulty. I'm going to break this word down for you. I don't do a lot of this, but you need to hear this today. 
In other words, the best place to see Jesus showing us how we ought to be thankful is found in the upper room right before he would be arrested and he would later be crucified. We all know this event as the Lord's Supper or Communion. Jesus gathered with his disciples on the day uh, of the Passover and he, he instituted a new covenant, the Bible says in Hebrews, based on new and better promises. And the Bible says in Luke twenty two nineteen 19, he, that he took the bread and when he had given thanks, the word Eucharistio, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you, do this in remembrance of me. The Greek word for thanks is found, in, found here, and it, is, it has a root word in the middle of it. The root word in Eucharistio is charis, which is grace. So thankful with grace. Thankful for grace. With grace, I give thanks. I want you to get that in your head. Jesus took the bread and saw it as grace and gave thanks for it. He took the bread and knew it to be a gift from God and gave thanks for it. Eucharistio, thanksgiving, envelops the Greek word of grace. And listen, it also has a, a derivative meaning of joy. And so they're linked together, grace and joy. So with thanks, grace, and joy, he, thanked for the he was thankful for the bread. He broke it and he gave it to them. But he didn't just give it to them. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Now listen carefully because we're going to get somewhere with this. This is my body which is broken for you. So number one, he was thanking the Father for what he was about to face. That is, blows my mind. So it was with a clear conscience he's saying, I'm breaking this bread and this body represents my breaking. Thank you. Father, thank you for the breaking I'm about to go through. That blows my mind. How God could, be, Jesus could say, thank you, God, for what is about to happen. Thank you, God, for what I'm about to face. You say, I, I don't quite follow you. Hang with me. Thank you, Father, that my body, symbolized by this bread, is about to be brutally broken and that I'm about to momentarily be forsaken by you and be the object of your wrath. Isaiah 53, 10 says it this way. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. I want you to hear this. The will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, he was saying, look, I re this, Jesus is the bread. He is that which is going to be broken. And Jesus said, I thank you, not just for this. I, thank, I have thankful joy and grace because I'm about to go through what I'm about to go through. How are you able to thank God for the cross if you're Jesus and you're going to be the one on it? We're going to get there. Number two, why is, he th why is Christ thankful? This is what happens so that you and I might receive supreme honor and glory in his name. In other words, he's saying, in other words, I'm going to give to you and you're undeserving sinners, but you're going to receive Philippians 2.11 and every, every tongue that every, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's saying it is because of you and I that he was able to endure the breaking. Number three, Christ now shares with us his joy. We, we will share eternal, full joy in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
Are you following what I'm saying? Jesus says, I thank God the Father that I'm about to be broken so that you might have joy in your life, that you might have grace, that you might have forgiveness. In other words, Jesus was developing a vision of something else, and I'm going to share that in detail in a moment. Psalm 1611 says this way, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At the right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, what is he saying here? There is a difference between joy and happiness. There are so many people that have those things confused. They think that they're interchangeable words. But the biblical definition of joy will never be giddy happiness. Everything's going my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is not joy. Joy is an understanding that all things work to the good of them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. Joy is understanding that though I walk through suffering for a moment, though sorrow may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. What is He saying? God has something He is working in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the breaking. This is not just for a few privileged people, by the way. There will be hundreds of millions of forgiven sinners that made righteous through this sacrifice. Isaiah 53, 11, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to, to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In other words, he's saying this was not just for privileged people. If you're in this room today and you think this is just for those good people out there, or those people, I've got, those people that don't have a past, ever Everybody's got some kind of past. I want you to know, he said, this is for all of those who come to the cross, all those who are willing to come to Jesus. He's saying, I will make them a joy in my life. In other words, I believe there will be hundreds of millions of people in heaven one day. Do you? Had a minister look at me once and a long time ago, and he said to me, he said, Boy, there's going, to be, there's going to be a whole bunch of souls in hell. More souls in hell than there will be in heaven because the Bible says hell's enlarging itself. I took notice with it. I had to argue that point. I said, I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe that there will be more souls in hell than there will be in heaven because if there's more souls in hell, that's a win for Satan. I want you to know this morning, I believe that there will be hundreds of millions. I believe it will be the children of Abraham as the sands of the sea, as the stars of the heaven. We will look and see multitudes around the throne of God. And I'm telling you right now, I believe that God is going to do amazing work for those who realize they can be thankful in 2020. They can be thankful for what God is doing. Why? Because we may be walking through some stuff in 2020, but God is using it for His glory. He's using it for his purpose. Jesus' thanks was not based on his present circumstances. He was about to endure the worst possible horrors any of us could possibly imagine. I'm going to tell you, if you think you know what Jesus went through, think again. We don't have an idea of what he faced. He felt thankful to the Father for the grace and the glory that was coming because of the cross. And this gave him joy. This gave him Eucharistio, which means he began to be thankful. In other words, his future joy, his future joy fueled his thankful endurance. In other words, I can thankfully endure the cross because of the future joy that I'm about to experience. What is he saying? Jesus is saying to them, Hebrews 12, 12, 2, and I want to read that to 
Hallelujah. Looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of heaven. In other words, Jesus, Jesus got through what he was facing because he had a future view of the joy that was coming. And what is the joy that was coming? That an eight-year-old kid would kneel between his mom and dad and give his heart to Jesus one day. That you and I would give our hearts to the Lord one day. He says, I can hang on the cross because Phil one day will come to know me. I can hang on the cross one day because Tanya's going to come to know me. I can hang on this cross and I can endure everything because I see before me the multitudes that will come to know the Father. You and I have to get a futuristic view if we're going to endure what we're facing today and do it with a thankful heart. Mm. Mm. Jesus' eyes were on the future joy. He got through the cross not by focusing on the cross, but by focusing on the promise of the joy that was coming. Amen. You and I will get through what we face in this life not by focusing on the agony of today, but looking at what God has in store. Some of us need to be praying a different type of prayer instead of God just get me through it. God let me see why I'm going through it so I can see the joy that awaits me on the other side of this thing. Amen. In other words, God has promised each and every one of us a future with hope, according to Jeremiah. A future that has a hope in it. Some of us have been pretty hopeless for too long. And God is saying, you have to see that I am working all things for my good. I am working everything in your life for a future promise. God has good that's coming out of 2020. Amen? God has a promise that's coming out of 2020. Well, a few of you believe it. That's what I'm talking about. The church has to renew its hope in what God has in the future, not in the present. Some of us are so focused on the present, we have no joy in our experience with God now. Amen? No joy. In other words, if it's all going our way, God is good, God is great, God is mighty. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do what I should do. I'm going to, and we do it because it's going our way. Listen, we have to, be a, we have to serve a God not, by the con, or not on condition. Too many Christians are on condition. On these conditions will I honor God. On these conditions will I worship. On these conditions will I worship today. Everything goes my way. I'll worship today. Everything going good, I'll celebrate today. Look, good or bad, whatever may come our way, we need to look with a futuristic view beyond the circumstances of today and have joy in what God is about to bring. Because I'm here to tell you, I don't believe the best days of the church are behind it. I believe they're before it. I refuse to live my life looking in the rearview mirror. we got to look ahead at what God has for us. And we got to do it with hope and with joy. Amen? with hope and with joy. I'm going to carry you through these. If you take notes, you might want to write down these scriptures. There's some good ones. I'm not going to read them all because I don't have enough time. Third point I want to share with you today is what you have to look forward to. What do you have to look forward to? Amen? Some people are like, well, when that vaccine gets here, really? My hope's not found in a vaccine. My hope is found in Jesus. Do you realize things could be a lot worse in 2020? 
They could be a whole lot worse. No, they couldn't, Pastor. They just couldn't be any worse because my kid's ball game got canceled. There's people living that way. Lord, if the worst thing ever happens is we get a ball game canceled, we can count ourselves as blessed. I was thinking today, and this is not every church, and it doesn't mean we're special or unique. Don't, don't take that from this, but boy, we are so blessed because we could have been like some churches and had a whole lot of funerals over 2020. We've had some, but not to the degree. None of them we can fully blame on COVID. Do we not have something to thank God over? How about you? How's your, you sitting here today? God is good. You watching at home today, God is good. God has preserved and taken care of us. So what do we have to look for? And what is a future joy? The very best possible future you could ever imagine if you would only believe it. In other words, you will have the, in other, let me give you some scriptural evidence. You will have the free gift of complete forgiveness for not just now, but for all of eternity. In other words, Romans 6, 23, I'm not just forgiven now, but I'm forgiven once. I can stand before God one day knowing that my past is forgiven. All right? People may not forgive your past. You may have a hard time forgiving yourself of your past. But as far as God is concerned, once your past meets the old rugged cross, it exists no more but for one reason, as a testimony of where God can bring somebody out of darkness into light. And that's what it exists for. And that's the only reason God even wants you to acknowledge it. Amen. You can praise him over that. Some of us say, my past, my past. Your past exists in your memory for one reason, to give God glory from what he has brought you out of to where you are today. And I'm here to tell you the world needs to hear our story, that God, I was once in darkness, I was once captive, I was once a prisoner to certain things, but Jesus set me free, and I stand here today no longer a captive so that others may know if he can do it for me, he can do it for them. That's the reason your past exists. You will never have to merit your justification by keeping the list or the law. Galatians 2.16. You will never have to. Look, God does not want you living your life saying, Oh, did I get it all checked off today? Did I get everything done? Did I pray like I should? Did I read my Bible like I should? Did I, did I, did I you know, do a, a good deed somewhere? Or did I, can I say I've done acts of righteousness today? Because the Bible says we're supposed to do acts of obedience or righteousness today. Look, if you're just doing it to check off a list, then you are a prisoner of it. But when you begin to love God through a relationship with him, those things come naturally. They come of second nature. And you begin to do those things not because you have to do them, but because you want to do them. Amen. And it's pleasing to your father. And it, it, it just, it, it's a relationship thing, not a religious thing. You will have all your needs, all your real needs. Everybody say real needs. Provided while on earth, Philippians 4.19. That doesn't mean, you know, you give Santa Claus your list and he does everything you want. No, that means all your real needs. How many of you know what a real need is in your life? How many of you need food? You need it, by the way. You really do to live. You need water. You need, you need shelter. You need clothing. God says, I'll supply all of what you really need. I'll do it. I'll take care of it if you'll trust me. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm not worried about toilet paper shortages or paper product shortages. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Amen. I'm going to trust in him. And if the worst thing we have to do is ration a little toilet paper, aren't we okay? 
Listen to me, church. We have gotten bent out of shape and torn off focus because of the wrong things. And if we will get our focus back on what it belongs on, God's going to begin to fill us with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. You will receive all the grace you need at all times so that you will abound in every good work God has for you. 2 Corinthians 9.18 Do you realize God still has some things for the church to do? God still has some things. And when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about this building. This building ain't going to get up and go do what we need to do. You're the church. I'm the church. He's still got to call for us. He's still got things that you and I need to do. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to supply it. I'm going to help you. I'm going to enable you to fulfill the things I've called you to do. Hmm. Hmm. You will complete every good work. You will be raised from the dead and never die again. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, and 53. Anybody thankful for that? That one day you will be raised from the dead. And somebody says, I don't want to be raised from the dead if it's like this. It won't be like this. When we're raised from the dead, we will be in a, in a different place, a different world, a world where King Jesus is on the throne. And I'm here to tell you that's going to be worth being a part of. That means someday... Soon, you and I will see Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, and be like him, 1 John 3, 2. In that day, you will know for the first time full, unpolluted joy, Psalm 16, 11. Full, unpolluted joy. You will be completely free of corruption, Romans 8, 21. We live in a world, I hear that word a lot, don't you? Oh, so much is corrupt. This is corrupt. That is corrupt. Do you realize, how many want to live in a world free of corruption? That's coming. That's coming. And you will have God forever, 1 Peter 3.18. And you will have exceeding joy, Psalms 43.4. And that's just a small sampling of what God has before you. In other words, look to the joy that is set before you. Look to the things that are ahead of you. So right now, you have trouble in 2020. I have trouble in 2020. We've had trouble, by the way, before this year got here. Jesus said in John 16.33, and I want to read this to you. I have said these things to you that in me... You you may have peace. In the world, everybody say in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have problems. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What is Jesus saying to you and I in these verses? He's saying some of us are so caught up with the trouble and the tribulation that's going on in this world. We have lost our joy. We've lost our strength. We, we come in. We, we go through the motions of church, but we really don't celebrate Jesus in our lives. We don't celebrate Jesus Monday through, through Saturday. We come in and we, get, we say, oh, pastor, say something to encourage me. Give me a good little pep so I can keep going. I want you to know God is ready for you to tap into that joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, not just when you're here on Sunday, but when you're here during the week when you're out there in the world because the world's got trouble, but the church should have peace. The church should be walking with a different outlook. Come on. And when the world sees the church falling apart, you better believe they'll fall apart. Amen. I'm not talking about some put on. I'm talking about genuine, genuine peace amen and Jesus really understands Hebrews 14 15 he understands what we're facing because it says this for we do not have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through it all. He is an experiential God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he might experience the world, so that he wouldn't be of the world. Come on. So that you and I can be in the world, but not of the world. That's why he came in. So that you and I might have a joy. When everybody else is falling apart, the church ought to have peace. When everybody else is in turmoil, the church ought to have peace. When everybody on your jobs tore up because of the rumors of this is shutting down and that is shutting down, you ought to have peace. Because guess what? This is the bottom line. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, the psalmist said, nor their seed begging for bread. God's going to take care of his kids. God's going to watch over those who belong to him. And if you are saved and you belong to Jesus, he's got you. He's got you. And he loves you. And he's watching over you. Amen? Mm. Look at somebody say, Jesus got my back. Jesus got my front, he got my side, he got my, over my head, under my feet. Why? He surrounds me. If the joy Jesus promised is real and you believe it, there is no circumstances that can steal your thanksgiving this year. Amen? You've got reason to be thankful. In fact... In fact, the trouble that you're enduring has a purpose. By walking through the trouble with a thankful grace that produces joy, you are displaying the reality of what Jesus really means. You're displaying to this world why they need Jesus. Do you realize how we react from this point on, from, from, through, from today on, how you react? You may have, been, it may have been poorly up to this point. I don't know. Maybe you've been doing great. But if you have not reacted correctly from this point on, you can react the way God wants you to react and it can be a testimony to those who do not know Jesus that they'll want Jesus in their life. In other words, if you've ever had somebody walk up to you at work and go, or at school and go, look, everything's falling apart, but why are you, why are you have such a peace about it? I don't understand. What's different? Because we're going through the same things. We're hearing the same rumors from the boss that people are going to get laid off or this is going to happen or that's going to happen. Well, this is going to shut down or that's going to shut down. Why are you at peace and I'm not at peace? That is your opportunity to point the finger not at yourself not at, not at your yoga class but point it at Jesus and say without him I'd be falling apart but my trust is in him one more scripture and then we're going to wind up the kingdom of God is more clearly shown on earth when Christians gratefully suffer the presence of trouble because they see a future not a destruction Amen. I've had people ask me, well, what y'all going to do? How are you going to do this if, if so-and-so's in office? How are you going to do this if so-and-so happens? What are you going to do if they pass this and there's a law against this and there's a law against that? I got news for you. I, if the church thrived under Roman rule, I promise you, we're going to thrive. God's going to do some an amazing thing. Because you think this is tough, you should have Roman rule. Amen. You should read about the Roman Empire. And the church didn't get squashed every time they tried. I don't know. Anybody ever set a fire by a, a, a brush fire by accident? Anybody ever done that? I've done a few in my life. But you ever set a, a fire and try to stomp it out in, in a dry field? And every time you think you got it out, it keeps coming up here and it keeps coming up here. And before long, panic sets in because it's spreading and spreading and spreading. Let me tell you something. That's what happens to the church when, try, when, when the devil really tries to stomp out the fire of God. All he does is spread it. You hear what I'm saying? We're not, our worst days are not, I'm telling you, 
They're not behind or, 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 or they're not, not ahead of us. Our better days are ahead of us. Our greatest. Will you stand? Come on. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's saying, look, this light affliction, and if you read about Paul, none of us would consider it light. We would, if you read about what Paul went through, you would look at the life of Paul and think, what do you mean light? Have you lost your mind, Paul? Have you lost your mind? Because there's nothing light about being put in prison. There's nothing light about beaten, being beaten with rods. There's nothing light, light about your shipwrecking and you having to be in the deep several days. Treading water. Hanging on. But you know what's amazing? All of them are panicking. Here's Paul, shipwrecks. He's out in the middle of their treading water. I don't know if he grabbed onto a piece of the ship or what. All of them panicking. He says, hey boys, don't worry about it. God's done spoke to me and none of us are dying. Just hold on. I know there's sharks circling. Listen to me. Don't you know the devil threw a few sharks around them? The Bible doesn't say that. Don't you know the devil did that? He had to have. And then they get to shore and they decide to build a fire. Keep warm. Paul reaches down to get some wood. The Bible says out of the fire comes a poisonous viper, attaches itself to his hand and he waves it off in the fire. Now some have taken that to an extreme. He didn't do that on purpose. Do you see how Satan was trying to stamp out the life of this man of God? Do you see how Satan was trying to kill him? But you see, Paul went through it with joy. Why? Again, not giddy happiness. Joy is the understanding that God has a divine purpose and that there is nothing going to stop God's purpose in my life. Paul understood this. And for those of us that are looking for the trumpet to sound and get us out of here before it gets bad, I don't want to disappoint you, but I don't think it's about to happen anytime real soon. Though I believe it's sooner than some think. Some people think, well, just come get us, Lord. It can't get no worse than this. Dear Lord, what are we going to do? The Democrats are this and the Republicans are that and this is happening in our nation and that's happening in our nation and God is looking at us and saying, listen, calm down, church. Get your eyes on me. Mm. Get your heart and your affection on me. Return to me because I got you. I'm not done with you. You say, how do you know, Pastor? How do you feel? Because the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, He's not coming back for a church that's weak and defeated and just holding on by the skin of their teeth, as some people would say. I don't know that saying. It blows my mind. But anyway. In other words, barely holding on. That's not who He's coming back for. Because what I read, not in an author's book, but in the Word of God. Oh, help us start believing in this book again. Really believing in it. The Bible says He's coming back for a 
glorious church. I don't see it being too glorious yet. Do you? That there's an amazing thing about trouble, tribulation. I told somebody the other day, I said, you don't know what's in you till you get pressed. You really don't. You want to know what's really in somebody's heart? Be around them when they hit their thumb with a hammer. <laughs> or they hurt themselves. <laughs> what's really in them will come out. It really will. What are you saying, Pastor? When we go through troubles in this life, we don't know what's really in us. Because, look, when everything's going good, it's easy to come in and lift my hands and surrender. When everything's going my way, it's easy for me to sit down at the Thanksgiving table and say, let's all be thankful for what God is doing because everything's happening the way we want it. But when all hell breaks loose against us, And it seems like there's no hope. To be able to lift our hands in those times will bring a joy that is undescribable to this world and the world will be left scratching their heads saying, what's going on? And all we'll be able to say is, Jesus is what's going on. How many of you realize this, that there's coming a time shortly. We were decorating the Christmas tree last night, not because I'm a Thanksgiving person. I love Thanksgiving, not because I just like eating. I like Thanksgiving. I love it because I love the principle behind it. We watched Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Anybody a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving fan? I'm a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving person. I love it. We were watching it, and it gets to the point where Linus talks about how our forefathers, when they decided to have the first Thanksgiving, they had the first Thanksgiving not out of plenty, not because they had uh, overwhelmingly found wealth. They had the first Thanksgiving because they had survived. That's it. Now, a lot of people didn't survive. And there were a lot of graves around their colony. You read the history books. A lot of death had went on that year. They could have sat in the graveyard and wept over all the bad that had happened. But instead, they gathered together in the midst of everything that said they should be saying, let's leave this place and go back where it's easier. They sat down and said, we choose to give thanks to our God. We choose to give thanks that produces grace and produces joy. We choose to thank God during the trouble. We get a family ornament every year. We didn't get one this year. And we, I'm, somebody may mention it, and Paige said, I don't remember what she said, get a black one or something, I don't remember. It was not a good thing, you know, 2020. I, I said get a black one, write 2020 on it. I don't know what she said, it may not have been sanctified on her. Just kidding, I'm just kidding. I believe if we will respond correctly to the Holy Spirit, not just in this service from this point on. A year from now, we're going to look back at 2020 as one of the most prosperous years in our spiritual lives that we've ever had. 
I don't see it, Pastor. That's because you're focused on the cross and not the joy that is after it. The joy that's coming. The peace that's coming. The deliverance is coming. Let me show you. This is just one stack. Actually, two stacks. There's over 500 names on this altar that's been here for a while. They're still getting prayed over. Still getting prayed over. But when I go through some of these names, the ones I put here, the ones I know, I start envisioning their salvation. Some of us, you've been praying for somebody and all you see is their meanness. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> all you see is how far they are from God. All you see is how much it's going to take. Oh man, it's really going to take something. When are we going to start envisioning people coming to the cross? You see, sometimes I pray and I'm envisioning. I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'll just throw a name, David. I'm seeing David coming through those doors and hitting the altar. I'm seeing David calling up some friend that he knows knows Jesus and saying, will you come pray with me? i got to get right. Start envisioning. And then you say, what are you talking about? Start seeing ahead of what you're going through to the joy that God might produce in your life. Start seeing it. Don't start just living in the moment. Live for the future God has for you. You're talking about checking out a reality? No, it's here. Jesus felt every nail, but the Bible says He endured it because of what lie ahead. You and I was His focus. You sing about it. While He was on the cross, I was on His mind. Yeah. As you bow your heads this morning, this first first challenge goes for those of us that are going through this year and we don't know Jesus as our Savior and if you're in this room and you don't know the Lord as your Savior you are lost you have you, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you are here today saying pastor I need some hope because I haven't had any hope not just in 2020, but for many, many years. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. I'm ready to see beyond what I'm going through to a better day. And, and I know it begins with me giving my heart to Jesus. If that's you, no looking around. No looking around. I just want you to slip your hand up. Will you do that? I will not pull you to this altar. I don't operate that way. Thank you. There's some others. You just want to, you got to get it right. And you know it. You got to get right. And you got to get on that right path. And that's you. Raise your hand and put it right back down. Amen. Thank you. Now the next part of this altar call is simply this. If you're like me and God has convicted you, because that's what happened. That's what I told you. These messages go through me before they get to you. He has convicted you on how you've acted in 2020. <laughs> He's convicted you about some of your statements this morning of, of, of literally just how much you hate this year you hate this you hate that and God is saying look 
I'm using this for my glory and you're realizing that. I'm using this to help you and not hurt you. I, you're my, I love you and you're a child of God, but you've been kind of, your focus has been in the wrong place and you're saying, Pastor, I admit that today. I'm ready for God to refocus me the rest of this year and into the new year on what is right so I can truly be thankful. Truly be thankful. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Come on. There's, there's people all over this room. You got to be, that's you. You're ready for that. There's some more. Come on. Just raise your hand. Say, that's me, Pastor. I got to get it right. I got to get it right today. And if you raised your hand for any of these reasons, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar while they sing this song. I'm going to invite you to come and pray. And I would love to pray with you. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you'd like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.